name I pray. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to have the children. It's great to have the children here this morning. And they're going to head out. It's good to see you guys. Dennis, we'll pray for you as you lead our children out. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to John chapter 27. John chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the uh, Bibles in front of you. And if you have one of those black Bibles, you can find John 27. Or Did I say John 27? There are not 27 chapters in the book of John. All right, I'm so ready to get into this message, but it's Psalm 27. Yeah, you guys can read. You don't need me to tell you where to go. Um, yeah, it's on page 429 of the Black Bibles. Life at times can throw overwhelming circumstances at you. I'll say that one more time. Life at times can throw overwhelming circumstances at you. Some of you have felt that in the past. Some of you may be feeling that today. I know that Pam and I have gone through some overwhelming circumstances. In fact, my sophomore year in college, November 11th, I got a call from my father. I was a sophomore. And he told me my older brother had died. He was a senior at University of Arizona. And I said, what happened? He took his own life. I was an unbeliever, didn't even know how to process that, didn't know what to do with that. All I know at that point was I just got into go mode and started making plans to fly back to Indianapolis. I was in Southern California. I got my twin brother who was in, in, in uh, Arizona at U of A, and my sister, and we went back there. And as a family, we didn't know how to process it. You know, there's so many questions. Why? What could I have done differently? And I would just tell you that three days later, we had the service. And I remember for the first time, I went out into the garage. We had a golden retriever. And I'm hugging the dog, crying. And I'm just, I, for the first time ever, why God? That was the only thing I could say, why God? Fast forward 35 years. I'm a little bit older, less hair, some gray. March 22nd. 2015. I'm actually getting on a plane. I'm in the jetway getting on a plane to fly back to Indianapolis, see my parents, and then to go, then go up to Chicago to uh, train some young plant pastors. And I get a call from my father, which was unusual. He just doesn't call a lot. And he says, I've got some bad news. Your twin brother, John, is dead. What happened? He took his life. You can imagine in that moment what's going through my mind. I'm thinking, okay, two brothers that have taken their lives. And you know, I've never struggled with depression. I know many people do. And <sighs> Thankfully, at that point, I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm looking around at all these people who don't know what's going on. And I'm thinking, but Lord, you know. You know. Four hours later, I mean, it was God's providence that I was getting on a plane going home in that moment. Four hours later, I'm sitting in my family's home, and I'm trying to s figure out what to say because I'm a believer and none of them are. My brother's family was in Florida at the time. He stayed back. I ended up 
doing a little research, found out that he was struggling with depression, that his business was struggling, but he never said anything. He never, he never cried out for help. And we have some pride in our family, and, and a lot of times we struggle with wanting to say, hey, I could use some help here. The fact is he had received Christ two years earlier along with the rest of his family, which was a blessing. I was able to speak at his funeral. I, I officiated the funeral, and I was able to look at his family and say, listen, we know that John is in heaven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And even when John wasn't strong enough to hold on to Jesus, Jesus was strong enough to hold on to him. Because here's the truth. Suicide is not a mortal sin, as some religions teach. In fact, Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter uh, 3 really says that. Let me just read that real quickly. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they other, but, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has, uh, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. So it is when we forsake the Holy Spirit who is working in us, when we forsake the Holy Spirit and don't embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is the unforgivable sin. The fact is, my confidence in the providence of God carried me through in that moment. And when you have a confidence in Jesus, you can walk with hope. In fact, the big idea of the message today is this. An unshakable confidence in the Lord gives hope for each day. An unshakable confidence in the Lord gives hope for the day. David understood that. You see that in his words in Psalm 27. Now, we don't know the context of what he was going through, but when you read this, you realize he was going through a lot. There was so much happening around him. We don't know if this was the 13-year period from the time he was anointed as king until he became king when Saul was in his jealousy, was, was, was going after him. We don't know if it was the time where he was fleeing from his son, Absalom, but we just know this was a really difficult time in David's life when he wrote this psalm. Let me read it. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above, up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the path, on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. How can you, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, in difficult trials, how can you have hope? That's the question that I want to answer today, and we'll put that up. How can you have hope in difficult times? I believe David shows us from his word. First of all, your confidence in the Lord provides hope. Your confidence in the Lord provides hope. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and of whom shall I be afraid? It's almost as if you didn't read the rest of the psalm, you would not have any clue that David was going through this overwhelming circumstance. Armies surrounding him. His focus is clear. And it is focus in God that leads to his confidence in God. That's why it's so important for us to, when we're going through difficult times, we've got to lift our eyes upward. I lift my eyes up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? David knew. Maybe it was from recounting God's faithfulness over the years. He was able to draw upon how God had delivered him before that he had confidence. He'd learned to trust God to provide protection and provision for him. You see the confidence of him. Notice he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He's the stronghold of my life. There's this, this, this pronoun that speaks of a relationship. David has a long-lasting, deep-seated relationship with the Lord. And let me just tell you, if you don't get anything else out of that message, just out of this message, just understand how important that is. See, it is in times of trials that if you don't have that deep relationship with the Lord, I mean, you're just playing catch up. David spent years out in the fields with a bunch of sheep. And the only thing that was really worth focusing on was the Lord. But that's really true with us, isn't it? So you see him focusing on the Lord. He is, he is my light, my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. When he says he's my light, it's, he's the one who had delivered him from darkness. We know from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In Christ, we are no longer walking in darkness. We are, we are walking in the light. Jesus is the light. He says, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the light of the world. He is the one that we look to, and, and it is the light of Jesus that dispels all the darkness. In fact, it is because he is our light that he could say he is my salvation. I'm thinking of, I remember when we bought this building, and there was a wall where those columns are, and you would walk in here and you had to go upstairs to that little room in there to turn on the lights. The place was pitch black. And it was, the place was a disaster in here, actually. And I mean, there's times you're walking through here fumbling. So do you remember? I mean, it's like you're concerned you're going to fall over the balcony. And that's it. But it's through the light that he becomes our salvation. Notice what he says here. He says, he says, 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When he says that he's my salvation, he is the one that protects us. Jesus is our ultimate salvation. We know that, that math, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it, it says that, uh, let me put it up, she will bear a son. This is uh, what uh, the angel had said to uh, Joseph. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from our, his sins, from their sins. It is through Jesus Christ that we are saved from the penalty of our sins. We can confidently say as believers in Jesus Christ that he is our salvation. He is our light. He is our salvation. He's the one that secures our souls for eternity. And also he's our stronghold. He is a place of security, a place of refuge. Listen, when you know that, when you marinate in that truth, it casts out all fear. In fact, look at the contrast here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No one. He's my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's the idea of being focused on God, and we know that we are secure. Walking in the light, he's our stronghold. And you see this confidence. Look at verse 2. He says, the evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. And I mean, that's like, that's really interesting imagery. They're not cannibals. We don't read about cannibals in the Bible, but it's just imagery of, of what these people were ready to do. He says, he says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble. I mean, he's, he's sensing all around him adversaries and foes. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me. How, when was the last time you had an army encamp against you? I mean, David was on the run. Saul had his armies coming after him. He says, my heart shall not fear the war rise against me. He says, yet I will be confident. See, it is our confidence in the Lord that provides hope. And you see that. So first, our confidence in the Lord provides hope. But secondly, your commitment to the Lord provides hope. Your, your commitment to the Lord provides hope. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. David's focus is on one thing. He's not allowing himself to be distracted by the things that are going on around him. David, as we should, live for an audience of one. See, this is, this is I think, the, one of the great dangers of social media. When you're consumed with social media, you're not living for an audience of one. You're living for an audience. A and, and so we should be more concerned about what God thinks than what, what man thinks. He had focused his thoughts. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Paul talks about that in, in Philippians chapter 3. I'm not going to put it up because I, I didn't put it up. But let me just read 
Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. He says in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing, his focus, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on for the goal of the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. David had a focus. It was a commitment upon God. He sought to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. It's the idea of speaking to be in the temple, to be in God's presence with God's people. David understood the importance of that. He was on the run. And, and, and David's just like, man, he's so longing to be back with God's people in the presence of God. You know, because where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. And David's focus is on that. So the question is, why? Notice what he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That word gaze, it's to look with intent. It's studious attention. It's not a one-time glance, but it's a sustained focus. That's David. He had a sustained focus on the Lord, so when the trials came, he was ready. It didn't make him easier. It's like Pastor David preached a couple weeks ago in, in, in Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear. Why? For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not that you're in there for forever and ever. Amen. It's he's taking us through. David understood that. He wanted to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Let me ask you, do you take time? to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And you're thinking, I don't even know what God looks like. How can I gaze on his beauty? What about gazing on the beauty of his forgiveness? That he's forgiven us of our sins. Or, or gaze upon his grace, that he has provided us what we don't deserve. Or gazed upon his mercy not receiving what we do deserve. How about gazing upon his steadfast love, his said, Or maybe his wisdom or his power or his salvation. See, it's when you, when you reflect, when you gaze upon those things, your heart is filled. Your eyes are lifted up. So your commitment to gaze upon the Lord through his word leads to confidence in the Lord. And that confidence drives your commitment, and the commitment drives your confidence. To the temple, the place where God's presence is, where people gather. Let me ask you, are you committed to gathering the Lord's people to worship. So often, church becomes optional. You know, often we don't do what we don't feel like. And the problem is, if we don't feel like doing something, things can be bad. Like, one of my jobs at home is to take out the trash. 
Let me ask you. <laughs> Did you say that, Larry? Um, one, one of the, one of the, one of the, there's times where I don't feel like taking out the trash. But let me tell you something. If I don't take out the trash, it doesn't take, and, and I do it every night. Because I do not like waking up in the morning and walking out into the kitchen and you just get the smell. Just don't like it. So every night. But there's times you don't feel like it. And the fact is, I'm not, I'm not speaking about if you're sick. But sometimes, like, I just had a late night. Or maybe I've got family in town or friends in town. Or maybe I'm tired. We were talking about it a couple days ago with some people about when, like, when we were meeting sun, Sunday mornings. Or excuse me, Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m over at Valley View Bible Church, and we just, you know, kind of started the church, and it's like about two years ago this time, we're really getting weary, and I remember saying to Pam, like, I don't feel like going to church today, and she goes, Bill, you've got to, you're preaching, <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I got no outs, <laughs> and it was hard, but the fact is, we go, and we'd be refreshed, and, and, and that happens so often. See, David is committed to, to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life because he wanted to be with God's people, God's church. The fact is, Jesus died for the church. We are, we don't just go to church, we, we, we are the church, we be the church. That's why Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, he, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Listen, when you come here in the morning, like come, not to see what you can get out of it, not be a consumer, but, but, but who can I engage with? Consider how you might stir up one another to love and good works, not, not, neglecting, not uh, neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Don't let that be your habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, what day is that? The day of the Lord, when the Lord returns to bring his saints home, we should be busy getting after it, encouraging one another, stirring one another up. Let me just tell you this. God's blessing the church. We're seeing new people every week above that. And sometimes you can feel disconnected. Sometimes you feel like, I don't know anybody there. Come 15 minutes early. Walk around. Just introduce yourself to somebody. Say, hi, my name is my name's Bill. What's your name? How long have you been coming? One of the reasons we have donuts and coffee after the service in the fellowship hall is not so we can just give away donuts. It's a, it's a way to fellowship. I, last, last week, walking through the fellowship hall, there were seven tables in there and filled with chairs, and it was packed. Upstairs, we had people out in the playground, and that's where you get a chance to, to meet one another, consider one another. Listen, that's the fellowship of the saints coming together, and that's what we want. David... He's longing for that. He's thinking about that. He, he's being reminded of that. The fact is, when, you're, when your commitment is not there, you can become isolated, and then cause, that causes despair. And, and if trials come, it's like you're not connected to the Lord. You're not connected to God's people. David's commitment is a result of his conviction. He wants to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. It's the idea of, like, we love sitting around a fire. But if you take one log and put it off to the side, what happens to that log over time? It just goes, it peters out. That's what can happen to somebody that isn't 
in the midst of the fire. Listen, your confidence in the Lord, your commitment to the Lord provides hope, which lay, leads to comfort in the Lord. See, it's, it's your comfort in the Lord provides hope. See, it's God's presence. David wanted to be in God's presence. It's God's presence that brings peace and rest and comfort. Why comfort? Look at verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David just, he's turning to the fact that it is the Lord that's going to provide him with this. And there's such an understanding of the fact that it is the Lord that will take him into this place of refuge. He's our shelter place. He will shelter me. He will shelter me in his tent. Now, the, the king's tent was always in the middle of all the people. So when they would be traveling, they would put up the king's tent in the middle like they did with the tabernacle and all the people would be around. It was the safest place. And that's what David is saying. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He's our shelter place. He's our secret place. He, he will bring me into his tent. That's the place that, that I can... That I can that I can engage with the Lord. I can, I, it's a place of solitude, a place of peace, a place of, of prayer, a place where you can meet the Lord. We can be completely honest. He's also your secure place. He will set my feet upon a rock. You're in Psalm 27. Turn to Psalm 40. Just keep your finger there. And look at verse 2. Actually, verse 1. That's a great sound. I'm going to start. Maybe just the rest of the time we're just going to turn pages. Just <laughs> listen to it. All right. This is a psalm of David also. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. It is when we focus on the Lord, he secures our steps. Listen to what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk chapter 3. And, and, and Habakkuk is talking about a really difficult time. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, that's just a time of famine, the produce of olives fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. <laughs> Look at this vertical focus. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Here is someone that had been marinating in the truths of God's word. Didn't allow the surrounding circumstances. Listen, it was tough. But there's a confidence in the midst of the trial. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What a beautiful picture of our time just being uh, comforted by the Lord. Notice verse 6. He says, and now my head shall be lifted up among my, oh, I'm back in chapter 27. You can turn back, excuse me. Psalm 27, 6. And now my head shall be lifted up 
above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Do you see what he's doing there? What's he doing? In the midst of these overwhelming circumstances, he gets his eyes back on the Lord, and what does he do? He worships. He worships. It's a reminder. Job, though he slay me, I will what? Worship him. It is learning that if our focus is on the Lord, if we reflect on his character, on his goodness, all that he has done for us, it is even in the most difficult times that we can worship him. That's a place where even though we're going through a valley, his, his word will be louder than our fears. His grace will be greater than our grief. This was a place of protection for him. It's a place of comfort. Fourth, your communion with the Lord provides hope. Now, when you get to verse 7, you, you really see verses 1 through 6 is really a testimony. He's testifying of the goodness of God, of his faith of, in God. But now you see in verse 7, he really starts to pray. There's a shift. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. He stops speaking about God, and now he's speaking to God. And the reason he can speak to God is because he's got a relationship with him. He knows him. He spent time with him. So after declaring his confidence and commitment and comfort in God, he now communes with God. He prays. See, this right view of God helps him to understand that he can spend time with God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he can come boldly before his throne of grace. Verse 7, hear, O God, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I love that passage. David knows that God has said to him, seek my face. In fact, he's now saying, my heart because my heart has been marinating on your goodness and your grace and your, your character traits. My heart is saying to seek your face. And this is the idea of seeking his face before we seek his hand. So often we just, like, we pull out our gimme list. And we, like, our prayer, our prayer is just like, Lord, give me this, 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 and this. Versus God is just saying, seek my face. Just be with me. Many of you have, had, have kids. I mean, think about if you had a child. If the only time they really came to be with you or talk to you is when they wanted money. I want money. Give me money. But there was never this desire to be with you, spend time with you, hang out with you, um, develop a relationship with you. I mean, how excited would you be to pull another 20 out of your pocket? Probably not. David understands. He says, you have said, oh, Lord, seek my face. So my heart says to you, your face do I seek. 
David wants God's presence. Look at verse 9. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David just wants to be in the presence of the Lord. Everything going on, that's like, that is his one focus, his, his, his one desire to be with the Lord. Let me ask you. Are there times where you just cry out for the Lord? As a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. David is comforted by the Lord's presence. He knows that. Look at verse 9, or verse 10. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, we don't know if they actually forsook him. Or if he had just been separated from them, or maybe they had passed away. In fact, that word forsake, it means to be remote or to be absent. But the fact is, even though he knew that he was away from his parents under whatever condition, he knew that the Lord will take him in. He's a father to the fatherless. And then you just see this this cry, he says, teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a, on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. He's just like, he's got this vertical focus that keeps him grounded. No matter the evil that his enemies have meant for him, David has an unshakable confidence. But it's not just a surfacy, contrived confidence. It's a confidence that is a result of years marinating in who God is and what he's done. Let me, let me just say, you know, we, we talk a lot about the importance of reading God's word. And that's not just to be perfunctory and just to do something because we say it's so you have this this relationship with the Lord where God is working deep down in your soul so when these difficult times do come, you're prepared. It doesn't make them easier, but it's like, it's like there's this unshakable confidence in the providence of God. He knows God. He knows his attributes. He knows his characteristics because of his communion with God. And as a result, his confidence is unshakable. But finally, we see David's conviction of faith, which provides hope. His conviction of faith provides hope. David now goes from testimony to prayer. Now he's kind of like a message. He's preaching. He's preaching to himself. We saw that last week. A little bit of self-talk here. It's almost like he's preaching to others too. He says, I believe, look at that conviction. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he's saying is like I'm in the land of the living right now. And I know that even though everything around me is overwhelming, he says, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not just going to wait until I'm with his presence in heaven, but here on earth. And so he just, it's like he's this, this little pep talk, wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's pressing into what he knew. Sometimes that's all we can do is just press in to what we, knew, what we know. His self-talk 
It reflects his unshakable confidence in the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Do you have an unshakable confidence in the Lord? There's been times I'm going to tell you. My confidence has been tested. I know some of you, your confidence has been tested. That's not easy. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that it was March 2015 that my brother died. 18 months later, August 12, 2016, I'm sitting in my office. And I get a call from a childhood friend. My brother's best friend. And I said, hey, Rob, how you doing? And I'll never forget these words. Not good, Bill. I said, what's going on, Rob? And he says, John's wife, Lisa, and two of their four children, Luke and Emma, were flying up to, to Quantico to uh, my oldest nephew, Drew's, graduation from Officer Candidacy School, Quantico. And it was a pro- on a, they were on a private plane, and the plane was missing. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, in this moment, it's just like, you know, you're just like, your head's swimming. And Bo, the youngest, was not on the plane because he was home for football practice. So as the next hour unfolded, our worst fears came to fruition. The plane had crashed going into the little airport it was going into. I now had to call my dad and the rest of my family. They don't train you that for the, they don't train you for that in seminary. In a flash I'm thinking it's a lot easier to preach about faith, unshakable confidence than it is to live it. I'm thankful that I have a wife that spends a couple hours every day in the word just marinating in who God is and what he's done. And like she's the first, I mean, after crying out to the Lord, I mean, I, I, she's the first place I go. And, you know, I remember when, uh, when my oldest brother died, my question was, why, why God? I didn't know. But now I'm saying, Lord, what do you have for me in this? Something I preach many times that when you go through a difficult time, it's like not why God, but what do you have for me? Because you've got to trust in God's providence that all things work together for good for those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. This was a storm of biblical proportions. My cousin in Indianapolis chartered a jet, and I ended up flying from Scottsdale that day up to Richmond, Virginia, to pick up my oldest nephew, Drew, who was number one in his class. He's a senior, uh, number one in his class at Virginia Military Institute, kids of study. And I'm in this little tube, me and two pilots, flying, and I'm thinking, Lord, you need to help me. And I open up the Psalms. And I'm starting to marinate in the Psalms, and I'm being, I'm just being encouraged by David going through really difficult times and how David would continue to look to the Lord. I needed that tremendously. 
And it was at some point I, I just being reminded that, Lord, I'm so thankful that I have a relationship with you. Because I can't imagine going through this apart from you. Picked him up in Richmond. Gave him an unbelievable hug. And we turned around and flew back to Indianapolis. We got back to their farm at about 5 in the morning. And got a couple hours of sleep. I remember getting up, going upstairs into their room, the boys' room, Drew and Bo. And they were on the bed together. Drew was thumbing through the Bible saying, the Lord's going to get us through this. This is not going to define us. I'm thinking, there's two boys whose mom has poured the truths of God's word into them so that when they were going through something as tremendously overwhelming as they were, you could see that God had already prepared them through a mother that loved Jesus. I got to tell you this. I was incredibly encouraged by that. In fact, today, five years later, those guys are thriving. Pam talks to Bo just about every other day. Drew is now in Washington, D.C. in the Pentagon. Loves the Lord. And these guys are pressing on. Let me ask you once again. How is your confidence? Is it unshakable confidence because you've trusted in the Lord? I was really convicted by this. I don't want you to think that I've shared these things to feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for those boys. Be challenged by, are you ready if an overwhelming circumstance comes to you? Do you, have, do you have deep roots in God and who he is? Don't wait until the trial to find out. Be ready, knowing that something will come at some point. Listen, when you know the Lord, you're confident in the Lord. You're committed to the Lord. And you take your comfort in the Lord. And you commune with the Lord. And that leads to a conviction of faith and an unshakable confidence that provides hope. Now, I want to end by reading a passage that just came to me this morning as our worship team comes up. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. Let me just say this also. An unshakable confidence doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. An unshakable confidence doesn't mean that it's not devastating. An unshakable confidence does not mean that it's incredibly overwhelming. but it's a reminder that you put your eyes back vertically and you remember who God is, that he is sovereign. And you may not understand what you're going through right now, but you'll look back one day and say, God, I get it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the 
surpassing power of God belongs, or the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of, always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us uh, with you into his presence. He's talking to those who are going through a difficult time in Corinth. He says, listen, you have the life of Christ in you. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Paul understood the importance of keeping his eyes on the Lord. We have to be reminded that Jesus came into this world to die on the cross so we could have eternal life. He was raised on the third day. And, and for those of us that embrace Christ, we have the life of Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power to, to, to be able to work through these difficult times. And we have the church to surround us. If there's never been a time that you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, I would encourage today. Embrace him as Lord and Savior. And then declare that through believer's baptism in a couple weeks. Father, thank you for this powerful text, this reminder that though he slay us, we will worship him. We will worship you. We know that you're a good God, a loving God, an all-powerful, all-present God. Sometimes we don't understand why we go through what we go through, but Lord, us to ask the question, what do you have for me? Maybe now, who can I minister to? Who can I help through their difficult time? Lord, give us an unshakable confidence in you.